only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading die. Book of Jude, verses 17 through 25. If you have the Blue Pew Bible you're using, that would be page 1027. Jude, verses 17 through 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we cannot speak unless we're spoken to by your Spirit. We cannot receive unless you open our hearts. And we pray, Lord, for a miracle of speaking and hearing that the message of the cross might go forward, not under the power of man, but the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, we know that in your Spirit, you can reveal our sin, but also you can reveal and will reveal your grace, which is sufficient to save. This we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. The epistle of Jude is the last of the general epistles and was most likely written in the latter part of the first century. Jude, who calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ, also identifies himself as the brother of James And in so doing, he confirms actually the witness of both Matthew in the 13th chapter of Matthew and Mark in Mark's 6th chapter, where they identify Judas or Judah or Jude as the brother 
of James. So it is in Jude's natural relationship to his brother James and fellow apostle, his spiritual resemblance to his Savior, Jesus Christ, and his status of being in God the Father, that Jude has the authority to address the church at this critical hour. The preacher's homiletic commentary calls Jude the prophet of the apostasy. A key word in Jude is kept. The premise of the short letter is very straightforward. For those who embrace the faith are preserved unto Christ forever, while those who deny the faith are reserved to final and eternal judgment. In other words, the context is largely about the preserved and the reserved. The intent of Jude's letter is rather obvious. He recites many of the grave problems that are facing the early church. But both by virtue of Jude's calling and the tenor of its content, it is lovingly pastoral. Jude's epistle is an affirmation of these early Christians. There is ample encouragement as well in Jude's epistle. Believers are encouraged to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints in verse 3. The word contend is borrowed from the world of Greek athletics. This epistle then is a call to action to contend for the faith. Jews' readers are also reminded of who called them, who loved them, and who keeps them. It's an affirmation, actually, of who and whose we are. Since they are called, they are preserved. If you think about it, preservation mandates perseverance. In other words, God's salvation comes with a warranty of full salvation. Jude displays an obvious intolerance to error also. Error which strays from the theological foundation of the church and its founder and its chief architect, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude closely identifies weeds in the garden, and he sees tares among the wheat. Weeds because it is the work of Satan. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 28, an enemy has done this. And in verse 39 of the same chapter, he said, and Satan was that enemy. Left unattended, weeds will occupy space within the church, the garden of God. They will multiply and eventually thwart the growth of the fruit bearing. They are tares because they crept in unawares. Tares are notoriously deceitful. Look like wheat, but they're not. In verse 5 of this letter, it serves as a reminder of the judgment of God upon unbelievers. And then following in verses 6 through 16, 
Jude deals with both the origins of sin and the nature of ungodliness. Specifically, verses 6 through 11, Jude continues a description of the ungodly. However, he gives it a then contemporary context. He mentions in verse 12 that the ungodly deceivers had even infiltrated the love feast of the saints. What had been a time of sweet fellowship among believers was used as an occasion to introduce the leaven of doctrinal error into the lump of orthodox Christian teaching. In verse 17, there was a second reminder. The first one in verse 5, as we mentioned, is a reminder of the words of Jude's fellow apostles regarding the last days. And then in verse 20, Jude again uses this occasion to emphasize encouragement and he affirms the saints. But, he said, after describing the ways of the wicked, but a divine contrast, but you, beloved. If you think about it, the ultimate means of preservation is not the believer's love. It's not our love towards God, but that God loves us. We are kept by him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Then he says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. As the American standard gives it to us. This points to the sufficiency of the gospel or the believer's faith. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The sufficiency of the gospel is hinted here. He instructs them to build on their most holy faith. A firm foundation with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Build on this, Jude says. It's holy. It's set apart for God's exclusive purposes. Don't erect another edifice. But build on this, your most holy faith. Then he says, praying in the spirit. It's a good way to build upon your most holy faith. Praying in the spirit as opposed to praying in the flesh. As opposed to praying with a carnal mind. The mind of man and not the spiritual man. And in verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. I thought this was an interesting passage. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He didn't say keep yourselves in the law of God. He said keep yourselves in the love of God. Not the law of God which cannot be kept. Not the law of God, which has since been fulfilled by Christ's mediatorial work. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Believers don't work toward the love of God, but we, we live from the word of God because we're in the love of God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God, Paul told the Colossian believers in chapter 3, verse 3. It's a grace dependence, in other words. 
We're encouraged to depend upon God's grace and not our works. We're encouraged to possess a holy determination not to let love grow cold or indifferent toward God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't be like the Ephesian believers who abandoned the love they had at first. John the Revelator reminds us in Revelation 2.4. Then in verses 22 and 23, Jude encourages his fellow believers to mercifully and skillfully reach out to those believers who are waxing cold. Those who are straying, like Lot strayed into Sodom and had to be rescued. As Peter strayed at the arrest of Jesus Christ and found himself warming himself, as it were, at the devil's fire. Save them from losing their effective Christian witness. And then in verses 24 and 25, he begins what I call a definitive doxology. Of all the warnings that Jude has given us, it doesn't mean much. It wouldn't mean much if we didn't have someone to keep us from falling into doctrinal error. Verse 24, he says, now to him. This is the great commendation of the saints. This is the pastor's heart of Jude coming out, if never before. Unto him. Not to what, but unto him. Jude did not point the early Christians to an ideology. He did not point them to a theory. He did not point them to a philosophy or even a movement. He pointed them to Jesus Christ. He didn't commend the beloved to his personal care, to his fellow apostles' care, to the local church, or even to a Christian denomination, but to the only one who is able to keep us from falling into grievous sin, costly doctrinal error, or spiritual mistakes, the Lord Jesus Christ. He commends them to the designer, the financier, and the builder of the church, Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is Christ's official duty as Savior and priest to purchase, mediate, and preserve his church, which he bought with his own blood. Now to him who is. Points to the contemporary nature of the Savior. His self-perpetuating, his self-reliant, and his eternal uh, existent nature. Not unto him who was, but he who is. Not a relic of history, but ever living. He who was, is. Able. Speaks of his qualifications. He's mighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things, whether they are thrones, dominions, or authorities. Colossians 1 reminds us, the prince of peace is able to defend his saints against the fiery darts of the enemy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Here is both preservation and perseverance. 
It's his will for you and I to stand. Properly equipped with the gospel, with gospel preparedness and the shield of faith, we are able to stand. And to present you blameless. Not that we can't be charged by our enemies. But simply that the charges won't stick. Faultless because we are in him. No good of my own because I'm in him. No good of your own because you are in him. And he is faultless. Charges against the redeemed contrary to a popular gospel song a few years ago. Contrary, the charges against the redeemed were not dropped. The penalty of sin was paid. By another, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter 1, 3 says, not only saved completely, but sanctified wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. The Hebrew text in Hebrews 10, 34 says, for by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless with exceeding joy. It would only reason that Christ Jesus who endured the cross and its shame with joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says us, he would even more so joyfully present his bride, the church, before the presence of his glory. It is indeed Christ's joy to redeem, to keep, and then present his church in that day, securing the 90 and 9, that's joy to him. Saving the one that's lost, that's joy. With exceeding great joy, the KJV says. To the only God, our Savior. Here is the identity and qualifications of Christ. There is no other. Being God, he predates all things. He was not only before all things, but again in the Colossian 1 text, Paul says, he is called the beginning. There is no paper trail for another plan of salvation or work of redemption. He is the only Savior. Be glory. Glorious is what God is. Unscathed and untouched by sin. Perfect in all of his ways. His ways far above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And majesty. Majestic in his thoughts, majestic in his intentions, majestic in his will and in his work. This is an ascription to the greatness of our God. Majestic in his splendid creation, for example. Who was it that gave the stars their twinkle and causes the moon to glow but God? Who is it that wrote the lyrics to the songs that birds sing but God? That's majestic. And there be dominion. He is Lord over all. Sovereign over all. Everything and everyone is subject to God's providence. He directs kings by his will and nations by his sovereignty. 
The only one who can order the sun to stand still or Red Sea to stand up. That's dominion and authority. The one to whom every knee will bow, he's sovereign. He charges stormy waves to lay down and boisterous winds to be still. That's authority. He overrules sickness by healing and strips death of its grip by raising the dead. That's authority. Causes demons to flee and directs his angels. That's authority. Before all time, now and forever. There never was a time and never will be a time when God is not. God predates time and will exist when time is no longer measured. He will still be forever glorious when the lunar sun is relieved of its duty and God finally says two suns can no longer shine. When the moon is retired, when Satan is bound and evil is done away with. When death is dead, as John Gill said, he will still be God forever. Unto him who is able to keep us from falling. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?